Living with Diabetes, a podcast from Diabetes Victoria with Jack Fitzpatrick. Hello one and all. Thanks for tuning in to the official Diabetes Victoria podcast. This is a great forum for those of us impacted by diabetes, whether it be directly or indirectly, to discuss ideas, share stories and build our diabetes community. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick, ex-Melbourne and Hawthorne AFL player and current Diabetes Victoria ambassador. I would like to acknowledge your traditional custodians of the Kulin Nations, which we are speaking from today, as well as all the lands across Australia, and pay my respects to all elders past and present and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening in. This is a special podcast for National Diabetes Week, where this year the campaign will be Think again, let's reduce diabetes stigma. Obviously, understanding diabetes stigma and how it impacts on many people living with diabetes. The very real impact on self-care, physical health, mental health, and quality of life. We're looking to reduce the blame and shame around diabetes and replace it with respect and compassion. People affected by diabetes can live healthier and happier lives. I'm not joined by one, but two special guests, Jane Spate, Foundation Director of the Australian Centre for Behavioural Research in Diabetes, the ACBRD, who has completed some of the world's first research on diabetes and stigma, and also Michael Taylor, who lives with type 1 diabetes and is also a father to two children, who I must say are now grown up, who also live with type 1 diabetes. Jane, I'll start with you, and I should apologise. I did leave the professor off the start of your name. How are you going? I'm fine, Jack. And, and how are you, Michael? Good, Jack. Thanks for having me on, mate. Appreciate it. I, I appreciate you both coming on. I'm very, very uh, knowledgeable with both what you're both going to talk about. Jane, I want to start with you, the first official question of the podcast. As I said, um, working at the ACBRD, just what exactly is stigma and, and how common is it? Yeah, stigma is a, um, a, a negative social judgment um, that may lead to experiencing blame, stereotyping, rejection, exclusion and even discrimination um, because of a particular uh, attribute or feature of um, a condition that they may be living with such as diabetes. But it can be for all sorts of other conditions as well. So we we hear about stigma around mental health, about HIV and AIDS, um, around all sorts of other social issues as well. And how common is it exactly? Uh, stigma around uh, diabetes um, is actually more common than many people believe. So uh, a lot of people without diabetes uh, would perhaps not think of diabetes as a condition, and that's certainly what our early research showed. Um, but when we asked people with diabetes uh, whether they had ever um, experienced uh, stigma, uh, most people have actually told us that they have. And and actually, when we just ask people about their experiences of living with diabetes, more than 80% of um, those people that we spoke to spontaneously and without prompting um, told us about their experiences of diabetes stigma and or discrimination. It's a high number. Um, and I mean, I, I can take myself back to when I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. It was two weeks before I turned 21. And when the doctor said you've got diabetes, the first thing that went into my head was, "Oh, I, how does how does this work? I'm not overweight. I eat well. I don't eat too much sugar. All of those stereotypes, if you will, or, or the stigma. How many yeah. different types of stigma are there? 
Yeah, there's quite a few different types. Um, <clears throat> so the, what we've identified in our research around diabetes stigma is that there's experienced stigma. So this is when people are actually treated differently or there's some kind of discrimination and it's, it can be objectively seen that that's what's going on. Um, then there's perceived stigma. This is when the person with diabetes feels that other people may be judging them or blaming them um, or they perhaps don't want to talk about their diabetes with other people or disclose that they have it for fear of rejection. So it's actually their, their perception. It's not necessarily what's going on out there, but it's definitely how they feel that other people might be thinking about them. Um, and then there's internalized or self-stigma. So this is when people with diabetes blame themselves for getting their, their diabetes or getting the complications of diabetes, and they're internalizing that blame and, um, you know, judging themselves harshly for it. So, for example, I mean, you know, at least two of those, I, I guess, you know, a prime example, if I'm sitting here and, and it's, you know, a lot of work from home over the past 12 to 18 months in Australia and I might be on a Zoom meeting for work and I can feel that my blood sugars are dropping low and, and I start to be having a, a hypo, but I won't even do anything or say something either through fear of people judging me or, or maybe not even believing me. They might think I'm looking for an excuse to get out of the meeting or or maybe it's because I feel I haven't done a good enough job of um, of controlling my diabetes and, and that's sort of what I'm imposing on myself. It, it obviously can all be intertwined in, in some way. Oh, absolutely. And those are two really good examples of how complex this is um, because it isn't just about what other people think. It's actually about what you think yourself and how you're treating yourself and how... Uh, compassionate you are about your own condition and you know how harshly you judge yourself. Indeed. So, so who can be affected by diabetes stigma? Oh, I'd say um, anyone can be affected by it. Um, but in terms of our research and thinking through who is more susceptible, um, certainly we've found that younger people seem to be more affected than older people. Um, older people with diabetes tell us that at their age, Nearly everyone they know has some kind of chronic condition, so they don't feel particularly unusual. That people often have to, you know, make allowances for their conditions, and so when they, you know, when they come along and they have diabetes, and some allowances may need to be made for that, then they don't feel uh, particularly uh, different from other people, and no one really judges them for it. Um, but often, younger people don't know someone else with diabetes of their age. Yeah. Um, and certainly for those with type 2 diabetes, being younger with type 2 diabetes uh, is often um, stereotyped as, well, why have you got type 2 diabetes at such a young age? This is just a condition that older people have, which yeah. increasingly isn't true. And there's also why younger people are getting type 2 diabetes. So. So that's a particular concern there as well. It's interesting you say that because I always say that having got diabetes at the age of 20, nearly 21, in, in some ways I feel almost lucky that I, I did get it later because I take myself back to being a teenager and all you want to do as a teenager is fit in and be accepted by your peers and the people you go to school with, play sport with, whatever that might be. And by definition, when you get diabetes, you have something that makes you different and, and straight away I could only imagine how it would feel as a teenager. All you're simply trying to do is fit in. Yeah, absolutely. Identity is... Uh, t teenagers haven't yet formed their identity and they're struggling with that already. So to put diabetes into the mix and then have that as something that sets you apart from other people of your own age is really challenging. 
The other thing Absolutely that I was going to one. say about this was um, that it's also kind of more problematic, shall we say, amongst those whose diabetes is more visible. So for people who need to inject insulin uh, or wear medical devices that they then need to pay attention to, they're often then exposed to other people's curiosity um, and judgment around that. Oh, what are you doing? Why do you need to do that? And then, of course, the other questions may well come along following that that are stereotyping them for why indeed they've even got diabetes in the first place. Indeed, and I'm sure Michael, um, I'll, I'll get to you in a second, Michael, have, have plenty of examples of that. Um, the, the final one for you, Jane, before I do get to Michael, what exactly does the research say about diabetes stigma? Yeah, so the, the research is still emerging uh, in the scheme of things. And when you consider that, you know, this year we're talking about the discovery of insulin 100 years ago, then research into diabetes stigma is actually very new and one that's really only begun to be explored in the past decade. Um, so much of what we know about uh, diabetes stigma is coming from uh, qualitative studies, interviewing people about their experiences uh, and large-scale surveys. So these are cross-sectional snapshots of how people are feeling and what their experiences are like. And, and we can then uh, look at associations uh, with other aspects of their diabetes self-care and their mental health and so on. So so what we know about the experience of stigma is that uh, people do feel blamed and shamed for having diabetes. Um, one person uh, told us that they've actually had someone say, well, you dug your own grave with your teeth. Uh, these are just really right. you know, horrible um, mm. you know, ways of other people thinking about diabetes. Um, so obviously um, we've also got these associations with obesity and and sugary foods and so on that are very complex, but actually in, in the media and in, and in the public's mind uh, are reduced down to very simple levels of, well, you must have got that because, you know, you must have got diabetes because you ate sweet things or you must have got diabetes <laughs> yes. because you're overweight. Uh, and blaming and stereotyping is really the experience um, of stigma and, of course, that can also lead to rejection and discrimination, and that's the experience that we've heard from people as well. Um, so sometimes people are excluded in a social situation um, from being, you know, offered some foods that other people might think are, you know, not healthy and not appropriate for someone with diabetes. So, yeah. so they're not offered something, which then makes them feel, you know, they're, they're then excluded from, you know, the party or. Uh, they're pointed out as being different from everyone else, which isn't uh, a very nice situation for them to be in. And obviously discrimination, uh, you know, is a legal issue. And, uh, you know, we have heard stories of um, people being told that they couldn't take on certain jobs or they couldn't do certain aspects of their jobs um, because of the perception that they wouldn't be able to fulfil those requirements because of their diabetes. In terms of the sources of stigma, that's another area that we've looked at um, Two key areas are how diabetes is portrayed in the media uh, and in diabetes campaigns, um, and sadly also how health professionals are contributing to that stigma. Uh, we've been told in many instances of uh, health professionals actually uh, being quite judgmental and blaming of people with diabetes in terms of what they uh, do and don't do regarding their self-care and, and how they're looking after uh, their condition. And then we are starting to unpick some of that impact of stigma in terms of 
how it affects people's mental health, their emotional distress, uh, how it affects their self-care. So some people will, uh, you know, not inject in public or not check their glucose because they don't want people to see them doing that. So they may skip an injection. Uh, obviously, that's got consequences for their glucose levels, uh, you know, later on. And if there's persistent adaptations of self-care to those kinds of considerations, then that will have uh, longer-term implications for someone's diabetes outcomes. And the other aspect of it is non-disclosure. So, you know, the fewer people, obviously we don't necessarily tell everyone everything there is about ourselves, um, but it's important that we have a certain number of people that we feel that we can tell things to. Yeah. And if we don't feel that we can tell someone about something that's quite important in our lives, like diabetes, uh, then we tend to feel, you know, isolated and uh, lonely with that, and that has huge implications. Um, so we, we heard from one person, you know, I didn't even tell my husband. I told nobody. I actually felt ashamed to have diabetes. I felt completely ashamed of myself. Um, so, you know, that's that's a really, you know, tragic situation for someone to be in, that they wouldn't even feel that they could tell someone who's who's very, very close to them. Absolutely. It's funny you're talking about all this science and, and even myself, I'm, I always consider myself somewhat fortunate in a sense that, you know, I'm a six foot seven male ex-athlete. So I've always, you know, got a, a bit of self-confidence, still everything that you're talking about. I'm just sitting here going tick, tick, tick. That rings true. It, it rings true. Michael, I want to bring you into this because you have a, a couple of different lenses on this. Firstly, you yourself were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in your early 20s. Yes. And then you yourself, have also yeah. had two children grow up and live with type 1 diabetes. How much of what you've just heard Jane say from, I guess, a science point of view, have you experienced or seen um, in, your, you know, in your life? Look, a lot. Uh, it's an interesting subject, um, the stigma. Um, as you said, I got diabetes when I was... Um, I think it was 22, so I've had, I've had it for 37 years and probably lucky like you, Jack, I got through my early years to live a, you know, a normal teenage existence and that type of thing and certainly when the, when the, my um, oldest son got it when he was eight and my daughter got it when she was four, so, you know, that, that was really difficult. I remember when my, um, particularly when my daughter got it, so two of my three kids, it was, it was very tough uh, mentally for me to handle that, just the second one getting it um, and had a lot of shame and blame that you know it was because of me so mm. back back in those days um you know i, I guess i self-stigmatized you know it was difficult difficult for the kids i remember my youngest was at um primary school and her sugar was was high so the teacher got her to run a couple of laps of the school oval um before she came back to class so uh, you know the, i I think the, my the, my two kids have got a, did a fantastic job to I think you know and they still do actually get through those teenage years but just I think there's a lot of miseducation which leads to a lot of the stigma and I, my personal opinion is that type two tends to get more publicity because it's um, I think there's one one point three million Australians that have got type two as against about one hundred thirty thousand at one so the, the type two tends to get more. Publicity, which um, you know, and I think the that disease sort of um, tends to encompass type one as well around a lifestyle scenario. So I, I often get people say to me, um, "But you don't look overweight." So 
I think mm. that just says to me it's an education issue as well. Yeah, and that's certainly my experience is that it's either education or ignorance or, or whatever it might be, and you often get so many comments or questions or whatever it is and or, or weird looks at people if you are, say, injecting in a restaurant. And for mine, it's simply just people not understanding. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get to Jane in terms of how we can um, reduce diabetes stigma in a little bit, but what about yourself going back, you know, 30 years ago when, when you were first diagnosed? Um, yeah. How was it in, in the workplace and, and things like that and, and, you know, telling your wife? Oh, it was weird because um, I'd, I'd play – I remember I played um, in Bendigo. I'm from Kyneton originally, so we were in the Bendigo League. And came, I was living in Melbourne at the time and came back. I wasn't feeling great. I hadn't, I hadn't felt great for a, a number of weeks and um, – I'd obviously lost some weight, uh, which which obviously happens when you're undiagnosed. And then I thought I'll just get a medical certificate on the Mondays because I didn't really want to go to work. So I thought I'll I'll go around the corner. I was living in um, uh, Windsor at the time and um, went and saw. I remember his name, Doctor Jones, in Paran, and, and just sort of thought I'm not feeling too good. Certificate for uh, for the for the Monday, and uh, and that was all fine. So that's great. I got a certificate, and then I just said, Oh, by the way, I. I you know, I can't stop urinating. I can't stop drinking. Like I was punching down, you know, two pints of iced coffee, big M, without quenching my thirst. And yeah. and then I, I still remember he said, "If you got diabetes in your family," and I thought, "Oh, hang on, I'm I need to get a certificate um, to get a day off." So I um, went, uh, yeah, went to the doctor to get a day off and walked out with diabetes. So it was a bit a bit of a shock. I, I don't. It's interesting. I when I, when I was tired. Didn't know anything about it, and I had this perception that it it, it made me really fragile. Because when I was growing up, you'd always hear, you know, if people were lost in the bush or and they and they were labelled a diabetic, it meant meant that they couldn't survive. And I had this yeah. thing in my mind that, um, you know, this is going to be really difficult. Until I obviously became educated down the track, but um, I, don't, I don't think I told my mother for for some time either. I just went, went back home and. And I uh, thought, well, that's what it is. So, and yeah, I, work was di- difficult because I think I collapsed at work in the first uh, probably two, two, two to four weeks. Um, so obviously everyone knew I had it by then. So I still remember collapsing and waking up um, at the Alfred Hospital. I was working in St Kilda Road at the time. So, um, yeah, it was it was difficult early and, you know, testing my sugar levels. It used to take five minutes with this brick-like it's, yeah, it was just I really found it difficult and, and not knowing and, and probably I was really paranoid about having perfect control and, and still mm. am a bit at the moment. Um, and I think that that doesn't help. I think you you just can't be perfect all the time. And, you know, obviously there's technology now that, you know, helps helps in that area. But, um, yeah, you, you, you can create pressure for yourself with it as well and, and similar yeah. You know, you're always reluctant to say that you had diabetes. I think, you know, I think we're too silent, too many of us, and that's that's why I'm. I decided to, um, you know, jump on a couple of committees that link with Diabetes Victoria because I thought, you know, at my age and and having had two kids, I need to start, you know, showing a bit of leadership on the diabetes front. I've always regarded myself as a leader in business and in sport, but you know, something that um, has affected my life so much, like diabetes, I. You know, I think we need to get out there and, and, and stop, be, stop being silent. Oh, undoubtedly. And you spoke about being a leader. Um, 
when your kids are diagnosed with diabetes, you're obviously living with it. Did that change your philosophy or, or how you wanted to attack the diabetes, not attack the diabetes, but attack your life and, and control your diabetes and show your kids that, for want of a better word, they can yeah. be normal? Yeah, it's a good, good point. I've always seen my role, not, not only as a father, but as, as a role model for how to live with diabetes. Um, it was interesting when Ben was diagnosed, I, I, I actually diagnosed him myself. It was a long weekend in March and um, I was coaching um, North Ballarat Reserves in the VFL and um, I remember uh, I tested his sugar one morning. We, we just It's funny how you, you, you just don't think he'd, he'd – I remember he'd weed his bed and we, we, we just didn't twig. Yeah, and I remember my wife Denise said, um, "Should we test these sugar?" And I still, I still remember thinking, "Oh my god!" You know, I, I hadn't, didn't even think of it. And and of course, his sugar was high, so I rang my specialist in Melbourne, and he said, "Oh well, you know what to do. Start start him on insulin." So I, he didn't even go to hospital. Bloody hell! Um, so yeah, I treated him for the weekend, and then uh, took him down to see my my endo the next week, and you know, we we got through that that pretty well. So. Um, yeah, and, 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 and similar to, to my daughter, you know, I guess when you've got it, you know, you can, you can, you can self-diagnose and, and do what you can before they can see the, the relevant specialist. So, um, but I, yeah, I've, I've always seen, um, as, as someone that they should be looking up to on how to live life with yep. diabetes. So. It sort of puts that bit of pressure on, but it but also shows the kids that you can you, you can be more than capable. In, indeed, and the oh, the final question I'll ask before getting back to Jane, um, we spoke about pardon me, Jane spoke about sorry the the blame and shame around diabetes, whether it be internal yep. or external. How much of this have you experienced or noticed or, or come across in in you know in your time? Um, oh look, I've still got it, Jack. You still, you know, I mean, you wish you wish the kids didn't get it because I think because when diabetes is in many ways misunderstood and because it's it's silent and you can't see it, um, you know, people have often said to me over the years, oh well, it's just like brushing your teeth, having a needle, and thinking, well, it's actually it's actually not, but yeah, yeah as, as you would know, being on jabs, um, so um, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a it's a difficult sort of thing to work through and I still yeah I still have that that um, uh, burden's the right word but still have that guilt um, mm. that I'll pass on the gene and it's probably more the fact that um, you know our specialist my specialist said you know there's probably no more chance of my kids getting it than anyone else however the only thing that's alleviated the guilt a bit is um, because you know there's obviously Two kids and myself. We've had um, we've been part of quite a few research projects, and my wife has actually got part of her um, genetic makeup a, a predisposable to diabetes. So that sort of alleviated the blame a little bit for me. <laughs> I blame her now. Yeah, point the finger. Um, it's always easier. So yeah, my specialist said, look, if I've got it, and you know Denise is perhaps prone to it, not that she has it, um, you know that. That probably that doesn't help. But I, I was just going to say, I've got three kids, so my, my it's interesting because my daughter in the middle is like she's sort of been bored along with it, if that that makes sense. And she um, yeah. she she always used to introduce herself one without diabetes. So um, <laughs> you know, diabetes sort of 
you know, it, it can dominate in many ways. Um, and yeah. you, you know, you can't forget you can't forget your other kids because my daughter's in the middle, and you know, it's it's all about them, as she would say. Um, yeah. And the fact that you introduce yourself as the one with that diabetes always, yeah, I, I always used to find that amusing, but also used to sort of stop me in my tracks a bit and think, gee, it's you know, we've got to think about others as well. Yeah, no, it's it's actually a very good point. I, I might come back to you a little bit later, Michael, and just touch on that when just before we finish up. Um, yeah, sure, and, Jack. and Jane, I'll come back to you now because I want to talk about reducing the diabetes stigma, and we briefly touched on the education piece slash the ignorance piece around it. And the the one that stood out for mine um, where I realised how much room there is to improve in this education piece was saying I got traded from Melbourne to Hawthorne and at Hawthorne they'd won three grand finals in a row. And one of the guys, his name's Luke Bruce, he's a good friend of mine, really, really good guy. He'd won grand finals, all Australians, was a superstar football player. And I remember at one point... Um, you sort of go into these teams thinking all of these people are, you know, they're Superman, they know everything, they've seen it all, they've experienced it all. And then one day we were playing a practice match together. It was the first time we'd properly played a game and they knew that I had diabetes. I was always upfront about it. But at quarter time, the coaches came down to the huddle and started talking to all of us. And I got down on my hands and knees and had my finger prick out and tested my sugar levels as I do every time. And it wasn't until after the game talking to Luke Bruce where he actually admitted, he goes, I've never seen that before. I didn't even think what was going on. I thought, why is Fitzy not looking at the coach? Why is he not listening? And it completely blew his mind. And it was when I realized, geez, this is a guy who I look at as an external point of view and go, yep, you would just get it. You understand things. You're so in control of everything. But that's so new to you and, and you don't understand it, you haven't experienced it. That was when I realised how much room there is to grow in this education piece. What can be done to help reduce this stigma? Yeah, thanks. So it's really um, in, interesting experiences that both you and Michael are, are discussing today. Um, education is definitely... Uh, a foundation stone to all of this. We all need, you know, to to know more about things. But but I would say, and, and there's a big role for organisations like Diabetes Victoria in its campaigning and messaging to make sure that the general public, you know, have uh, a reasonable understanding of what diabetes is and what all the different types of diabetes are and how they're managed and so on. But I would sort of caution against the idea that we can educate everyone about diabetes and expect everyone to have this really stellar knowledge of what it's like to live with diabetes. It's just probably unrealistic and unreasonable for us to expect that yeah. everyone would, you know, know very much about it. You know, do you know very much about living with epilepsy or, or arthritis? So, you know, these these are other conditions where there's a lot of complexity as well. And, and you know, I don't know very much about those. So I think that we just need to be realistic about what we would expect other people to, to know. And so education definitely has a role to play, um, but we can't expect it to solve all of the problems. So uh, very we, good point. We, we actually have very little evidence in this area around how do we reduce diabetes stigma. As I mentioned earlier on, we're kind of in the infancy of this research field, um, but we can apply and learn from the, the research that's being done 
uh, in other areas where stigma has been prevalent. And one of the first steps, in addition to the education piece, um, one of the first steps in stopping stigma is to address the most common ways uh, that it uh, continues, that it perpetuates. And that's in how we talk about diabetes and in the images that we use around diabetes. So when we talk about diabetes, and just one of the reasons why the Diabetes Australia language position statement is so important and, and why I think it's been very influential uh, around the world is that people are now starting to realise and appreciate that the words that we use matter and how we talk about diabetes matters. So we need to stop talking about people with diabetes being sufferers because that puts them into this uh, situation where other people think, oh, these are, these are people who aren't capable as, uh, as capable as the rest of us. Um, that we need to feel sorry for them in some way. Um, we need to stop talking about controlled and uncontrolled diabetes. What does that really mean? Um, because, again, that's kind of putting some kind of judgment on someone who's got uh, hypoglycemia or high blood glucose levels that somehow they're, you know, they're not controlling it well enough themselves. So there's a, a blame and a judgment there about um, People, you know, bringing on their complications themselves or if they just had a bit more willpower, a bit more discipline, then they'd be doing better with this. And yet we know that diabetes is more complex than that. Um, we need to change this language around food, you know, cheating, bad foods, good foods. All of this language is not very helpful um, and, and contributes to that uh, stigma as well. And when we think about the images that are used around diabetes, you know, every time you pick up the newspaper um, and see a story about diabetes, and almost guarantee you that they'll be accompanied by uh, a photo of a person with overweight or obesity or mm -hmm. a photo of some unhealthy food, maybe some sugary donuts, um, or a, a photo of someone with complications, say an amputation or something like that. And, yeah. and these, these images are really powerful and they, and they serve to tell other people what, what it is to live with diabetes. And, and the fact that those images are actually often inaccurate uh, or at the very best stereotyping what it's like to live with diabetes is real. So how do we change all of that? Uh, I think essentially education is part of the story, but everyone has a role to play by showing less blame showing less judgment and using more compassion and more respect. So if you, if you don't understand it, don't blame someone or don't judge them. Ask a question um, or just uh, have more compassion for, well, gosh, that must be really challenging to have to prick your finger several times a day. You know, what does that feel like? And ask mm -hmm. the question about that. So a little bit of curiosity rather than you know, judgment and... Um, that kind of thing can go a long way. No, no um, doubt about it. Yeah, and if people with diabetes are experiencing that stigma and if they're feeling that way, then, you know, calling uh, Diabetes Victoria's NDSS helpline, um, they can speak to someone in the advocacy team, particularly if they are experiencing stigma or discrimination, say in the workplace or uh, in another aspect of their life, there may well be something that the Diabetes Victoria advocacy team Team. They have a new um, emotional and social well-being web page um, mm -hmm. that people can take a look at. Um, and, of course, 
you know, there's there's no one who understands diabetes and perhaps the stigma around it better than other people with diabetes, as we've been hearing from you and Michael today. So Diabetes Victoria's peer support groups um, are another source of support for anyone who's experiencing issues in this area. I think that's really important. So just to recap before I, I do go and, and finish up with Michael, th- those areas to help again, where exactly should we go to look, please, Jane? Diabetes Victoria's web- website, there's a, an emotional and social will- wellbeing page, um, the NDSS helpline, one eight hundred six three seven seven hundred, 637 And of course, uh, my own research centre uh, is doing research in this area and we publish a website um, to summarise uh, our research. We, we produce those blogs in plain language. They're not, they're not at all scientific. We, we really <laughs> try and sort of uh, make them nice and easy for, for anyone to access. And, and, of course, we will be putting the ACBIB research in the show notes for this podcast. So if you are looking for them, you should be able to find it there. Um, mm-hmm. Michael, I, I did have one question to come back to and, and finish up and, and wrap up with, but I'm going yes, to go, go. to um, if that's Go okay. for two, mate. I'll accept two. <laughs> the, the first one, um, you, you talked about, um, I guess, the guilt, for want of a better word, and, and this, you know, the um, feeling guilty for or if it wasn't me that, you know, am I the reason my kids have diabetes? But also, um, you know, again, I'm sort of putting words in your mouth here and probably a little bit hyperbolic, but talking about your forgotten daughter, the middle daughter, who may have sort of slipped <laughs> through the cracks at times. Is that another form of stigma that, or I guess guilt, that I guess probably was hard to come come to terms with at different stages? Uh, yeah, yeah, it has been. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a bit, bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it? I've sort of... The, the guilt with the, with the, the uh, Ben and Daniela have, have got it, and then and then perhaps uh, thinking you know has has the middle one been forgotten? <laughs> not, yeah. not of course, but uh, yeah, I, I think yeah, particularly when you've got two kids, you've got it yourself, and two kids have got it. It, it, it bloody dominates your life when when they're young, and yeah. you know it's you know with with diet and needles and you know. Like our house is just full of syringes, and you know we go. We, I remember we went overseas on our first overseas trip about uh, twenty three years ago to America, and, and we we took that many syringes, and you know trying to get through airports, and it, 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 it's hard for it not to dominate, to be honest. Um, mm. And I look, I you know, and I'm I'm always glad that that my middle girl uh, always introduced herself as the one without diabetes. She she'd often say it in jest, but I'd always I'd always think. Mm, I, I need to really be mindful of this, so yeah. um, because I said uh, I, was, I spoke to her last night. I said I was doing this podcast, and she had a bit of a chuckle. She said it, it'll be all about the two with diabetes, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, it's good that she can laugh about it. That's for sure. Yeah, oh look, she's pretty. She's pretty calm. She's had, got a great career in teaching. So, um, but yeah, you 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 can't forget the ones that are that that are caught in the middle because when when. You know, when three of us have got it in the family, it's uh, it, it, you know it does dominate your family life um, pretty strongly, Un- undoubtedly. And and that's a great segue into what is my final question. Um, I guess any words of advice or words of wisdom for people listening at home? What what has worked and what has helped through diabetes stigma, and whether that be in your own life and and what you've overcome, football, work, sport, or or, yeah. or as a parent. Um. Yeah, look, I, 
it's it's interesting. It's whilst I've had it for a long time, it's it's also been a I guess a driving force for me to show that you can, you know, do what you want despite having it. Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. Look, if I didn't have it, I'd I'd wonder where, what I'd be like. To be honest, I, I I've found it's it's disciplined me probably more than than in than if I didn't have it. Um, I'd prefer not to have it, but um, I think it's just yeah, it gives you a a certain discipline to you know make sure after yourself. So and I, look, I think just the you, you can be capable, and I I, don't, I often say. You know, if you, particularly for people who've got young ones that have just been diagnosed, I, I think it's invaluable to talk to, you know, other parents or people like myself who who have had it that that can offer a bit of wisdom. Um, I think people can, you know, suffer in silence, perhaps not get great advice, and and you know, and get told that their kids can't have a chocolate frog or whatever. When you know, it's 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 really about eating a healthy diet now. So it's it's not as you know. It's it's much more grayer than what it was when I first got it. It's not you know you can't eat that or you can't do that. Mm. I think people just need to understand that yeah, there is a flexible lifestyle around diabetes now, which probably wasn't as prevalent back in the early days. Um, and you know, there's there's so much technology that can help. The the interesting thing around stigma, I, I often wonder, and I don't know, Jane, whether you've, whether you considered this the with the, the pumps and the the CGM uh, continuous um, glucose monitoring systems that are stuck on the back of many people's arms now, uh, whether those visible uh, support, whether that visible support for diabetes um, creates more stigma or whether, you know, it, it, are people reluctant to have those attachments because others, other people are going to judge them? I, I often wonder whether the, you know, the new, which is fantastic, I, I've been on a pump for about 18 years, whether... Um, yeah. you know, some people just don't want to be seen with those type of things hanging off them. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always um, made me think whether um, a lot of people think I'm a doctor. They think I'm paging on my pump. <laughs> yep. There's so, a lot of individual differences um, in this area. But, yeah, look, I think, Jack, I, my advice was it's certainly everyone's it's capable, but I think just having some support, itself. Um, you know, yeah, the just support for people. Look, when, when we when the kids first got it, we had a um, a family um, group up here where we'd meet once a month. Um, so, and look, we we still stayed in contact with those people over the last you know twenty five years. So it was just a a good event to go to have a have a cup of tea and a biscuit and and you know just talk to people about you know what their kids are up to and and what sort of you know treatments they're doing and and so that, those sort of things can help, but. Yeah, my main message is we we are we are all capable, and that's what's probably driven me. I was a bit like you. I used to jab myself, you know, before people would be looking at me, going, "What is this bloke doing?" You know, I, I didn't even explain what I was doing, and people didn't even know I had diabetes until I had to say, "Oh, oh God, I'm sorry, I haven't even I haven't even said it." You know, indeed, and I think that's probably a great way to finish up, isn't it? We are capable, and doesn't have to stop us chasing our dreams or. Um, living the life we want to, and and I, I guess that attitude is is a great one. Jane, Michael, I could talk to both of you all day, um, and I could keep going, but I know that you guys have got a lot of work to do. You're very busy people, and and we have gone long enough already. 
Professor James Spate and Michael Taylor. I want to thank you both for coming on the podcast so much. It's been great to talk to you both around the examples and experiences of stigma, but certainly around the research and the science and, and all of the, I guess, the investigations that are going into it. So thank you guys so much for what is a great campaign that is a part of National Diabetes Week. And, and as I said, I really love chatting to you both uh, today. Thanks, Thanks Jack. Jack. Keep up the good work. And thank you, Jane. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Jack. It's been great. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like to contact us, it's very easy. Simply send an email to podcast at diabetesvic.org.au or, of course, all the information you'll need is on the website, diabetesvic.org.au.